Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. This is Joe Lynch, and today's topic is building a foundation for sales growth with my good buddy, Mike Temple. Welcome, Mike. Well, hi, Joe. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed the show. And uh, I know it's one of the leading podcasts in the uh, logistics industry. Oh, I like to think so. Or that's why my mom says that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she told me to say before we entered. She doesn't know how to use podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is a good friend. We've worked together a lot in the past, and we've written a million articles together over the years. And the topic we're going to talk today, building a foundation for sales growth, we started talking about this, I'm thinking three or four years ago. And I think it's something that people overlook when you think about sales growth. You're like, make more phone calls, send more emails, you know, say something clever, hire a marketing department. All those things Mm -hmm. are important for sure. But what Mike's going to share with us today, I think, is an interesting look at how you grow your sales. And it's really building that foundation underneath your company. So anyway, Mike, before we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Tell us about your company, where you live, and who you help. Yeah, what as Joe said, my name is Mike Temple, and I am the founder of Temple Executive Coaching. And we are located, and I kind of have to put an emphasis on this, we're located in Vancouver, Washington, the state of Washington, uh, a little bit more context to where we're at. We're maybe 15, 20 minutes away from Portland, Oregon. And our team, we help business owners to identify what their true current state is. And then we help them kind of uncover, you know, what are their real goals here? What are the, What's their true desired state? Then we just work alongside the leadership team or the owner, map out a strategy and, and help them get there. And you work with a lot of transportation logistics guys. We do. We do. That's where our focus and our desired state has kind of led us. Yep. Yep. Well, we can always use your help, Mike. And again, I've worked with Mike when he was been coaching over the last, I'm thinking five, seven years, oh, yeah. maybe. So I, I know he knows his stuff. So, Mike, before you started Temple Executive Coaching, tell us a little bit about your career. Where'd you go to school and how did you end up founding Temple Executive Coaching? Sure. I'm in Vancouver, Washington now. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. A wonderful city, great state. I still consider it a little bit home. But when I was younger, I was really into sports. And like I tell everyone, you know, when I was growing up there in the 80s, and in order to maintain your state driver's license, if you had children, if you had a son, he had to play high school football. It was a prerequisite. <laughs> so I enjoyed doing that. I later, I studied at a junior college out of Idaho. At the time I was here, it was called Rick's Junior College, but it's now called BYU of Idaho. And I finished up my whirlwind of education at Utah State University. Nice, nice. Mike and I talk about college football a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and as some of the articles we've written together are about college football and how it relates. And, and I won't get into it because it could go four or five hours. But, um, <laughs> and Mike, I was the same way. I grew up in Dearborn, Michigan. And I remember somebody said one time, do you play hockey? I was like, yeah, I'm from Dearborn. <laughs> of course I play. And then football. And I remember saying, when I was a kid, my dad would just come home and say, you're going to start playing football on Little League starting Monday. And I, and I remember being the t- typical little kid. I don't know if I want to play. I, you know, and he go, I didn't ask. 
<laughs> and it was that way with water polo and hockey and wrestling, you, you name it. I don't know if I was good at any of it, but I did all of it. <laughs> True. It was good for me. Anyways, we didn't have gaming or internet or air conditioning then, so what else was I going to do? Anyway, Mike, tell us a little bit about your career after you graduated from uh, college. Sure. It's kind of funny because I started my career in the investment and banking industry. And as I was kind of moving through that career, what kind of caught me off guard, one of the earlier things that I learned is working with and studying under some a few of our stock analysts. I noticed that there was a strange pattern that started to emerge between companies that had a higher success rate over the other companies that often missed their mark that you know to their stated goals. So I just out of study kind of wrote some of those things down, but I had a, a wonderful career in the investment and the banking industry. But eventually, because I started in that industry back in, I think, 93, 94. But eventually, after the, as we call it, the Great Recession of 2008, I was let go by the investment brokerage firm that I worked for. I worked and I was also a partner in another business that we eventually we had my partner and I, we eventually had to sell that business as well. And what I found kind of a little different, what kind of led me here is that I had some friends that were business owners themselves and they started asking me for my advice on what they could do to kind of help their business grow. And I simply applied the steps that I had learned from some of those old stock analysts from the late 80s into the 90s and the agile, even in the 2000s. And there wasn't a lot of theory to it. It was just time-tested, practical stuff. It just, it worked. And later, after I spent a couple of years being independent, I teamed up with Trans Strategy Advisors and we started focusing primarily on business owners in the logistics industry. And I've enjoyed myself in this space for, gosh, 10 plus years. Yeah, it's very entrepreneurial. And I think, you know, I, I came from automotive, which is just like banking, a whole bunch of behemoths. Yeah. And then when you come to this space and you go, yeah, this is very entrepreneurial, very sales driven, very dynamic. It's a breath of fresh air. And oh, you feel is. like you have a bigger impact. Oh, it is. So, it is. Yeah, so I started working with Mike when he was over at Trans Strategy Partners. And I know Trans Strategy Partners always did a lot of training and coaching for the TIA people too. So, and I know I think they've now since merged those organizations or Trans Strategy Partners got bought by TIA. Anyway, enough of my blather. Mike, let's talk a little bit about building a foundation for sales growth. What does that mean and what does that look like? Yeah, well, before we get too far into to the foundation, I kind of want to describe the journey taken by the founders and maybe your listeners, some can kind of relate to this, you know, kind of the journey that the founder and their leadership team, you know, there's that startup phase. And, you know, it is every, anyone can kind of relate to this. It's gutting it out. It's gosh, it's exciting. It's crazy. You know, there's, it's the wild west. There's really no rules. You got processes. Who needs stinking processes? Cause you're riding high. It's adrenaline. It's caffeine fueled. And you probably joined up with some of your buddies anyway. So you know that they know everything you know, right? Absolutely. You start with some friends, probably, you know, same firm or, you know, just guys you hang out with afterwards. But then you move into the growth. You know, you're going from one or maybe just, you know, a couple of very experienced, knowledgeable people. And now you're moving into a larger team. That's most likely going to be kind of a, a carbon copy of you when you started, maybe a little bit younger, a little less experienced. And here's the thing. They do want to be and they need to be led and managed. These are really young individuals, never done this before. I kind of use the analogy of youth basketball. 
If you've ever seen some of you know these younger guys, maybe in elementary school, playing youth basketball for the first time, it's really kind of fun to watch because, first of all, you got the guy who has the ball, right? And he's just trying to focus on how do I get the ball from the, you know, down to this hardwood floor, back up to my hand and down again. So he's got his head down trying to dribble. And now you've got all of his teammates crowding around him, yelling, <laughs> pass me the ball, throw it here. But, They're one foot away. <laughs> yeah. It, you know. <laughs> now they all, in theory, have names. Some are supposed to be a point guard. Some are supposed to be a forward. Some are supposed to be a center. But they're all clustered around this poor guy trying to learn to dribble. And on top of that, you got the other team who is now. <laughs> so it's it's this big, you know, clustered around the young guy with the ball. It's this big, massive movement, you know, back and forth, right? So it's just kind of somehow, some way, at the end of the game, you look up and, yeah, either your team won or lost, and it's an exciting score of, you know, 10 to 6, right? So, <laughs> you know... Right. And that's and then to your point. That's what these logistics companies start to look like. Is one guy's got the ball and everyone's kind of else, kind of not playing a position. They're following him around. Correct, right? But then you know, of course, in our growth mode does kick in. This is great, okay? Because we do start growing, but we all know that with more growth and more money, you've heard the song, comes more problems, right? <laughs> exactly. And at some point, you know, we kind of look up and we realize, hey, the things that worked before. They're just not working anymore. You, you start to realize as we've kind of been growing here, we've got some administrative, maybe some HR tasks, and these things are starting to pile up. It's now getting exhausting. And some of those people that you recruited, they're just not working out. Maybe some of your buddies that you first brought on board, they don't have that same drive anymore. They're not working out anymore. Recruiting, training, it's just, it got harder. It's getting harder and harder, and it's taking the fun out of it. Yeah, Mike, I think when we were talking about this while we were prepping, you said there's always this event or a few events that start to make people wonder what's going on. Right. It could be a bad hire, right? Mm -hmm. And the HR people who used to not think too much of, yeah. they actually have a role. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't have an HR team yet because you're too small. Right. A few, it could be a bad hire that kind of think, makes you go, oh, what am I doing? Or we didn't save enough money to make our quarterly tax numbers. Or you lose a big customer. And there's always these events where you go, ooh, it's almost like you fell from the sky. <laughs> the, what was the perfect flight is now uh, wobbling towards Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the trajectory is now downward. Yeah, because it's, and you're right, Joe, it's at about this time, it becomes evident that you kind of this lack of a foundation is is really starting to kind of hurt the, the, uh, the company's growth. And like I said earlier, it's no longer that excitement that it once was. It's kind of it's wearing the owners out. People are becoming afraid. Tempers are a little bit shorter. Problems are following you to, from work to home. They wake you up in the middle of the night. You can't get to sleep. They're following you back into work. And I think, Joe, if I remember, we co-wrote a paper and the name of the paper was called, Does My Brokerage Work For Me or Vice Versa? And when we put that paper on LinkedIn, that thing took off, you know, a life of its own. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, it is very true because you can't ask yourself after a while. And a lot of small companies, as they grow into those larger companies, you start to realize, what did I sign myself up for? This becomes <laughs> a life, not, yeah. not a business. And 
I would also say this is we have all these assumptions about how we'd like to do things. And those things typically, it's like any battle plan. It doesn't survive the first shot on the battlefield. (laughs) As soon as something happens, you go, and boy, when you say, I really trust these two guys or these three gals I hired that we started this together and we're all the three musketeers or whatever. What changes is when you start to hire people who don't have that vision, they don't have your experience and you don't have time to train them. And maybe they're not working out. And that's, again, it's this only when you grow do you start to go, oh, maybe it's not going to be perfect here. Correct. Correct. And that paper that we co-wrote, does my brokerage work for me or vice versa? It wasn't taken from theory or observation. I mean, it was from meeting notes that I had with my clients. So I think when we did publish that, that's why it took off. I mean, people could relate to it. That, yeah, this is me. Yes, this is happening. You know, the business you created Instead of a company that you had hoped to create, you've created for yourself this job. And now this business tells the owner and or the team when you can go home, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it tells you when you can go on vacation. And if you do manage to go on vacation, it tells you your work hours while you're on vacation. And it sends you a wake up call. uh, It may be about two or three o'clock in the morning, reminding you you've got these problems. So you're not in control anymore. Right, right. So what happens? So this is clearly the way you would start a business is you don't necessarily have the foundation in place. You just started running fast and making things happen. You got to make some sales before anything works. What's the inflection point that makes things change here, Mike? Well, you know, it's just some of those things that we mentioned. At some point, you realize that, you know, this is just not working for me, it's not working for the team anymore. Maybe your finance guy is the individual who ever had the checkbook or knows the login to the bank to kind of see, do we have more money? So HR is, hey, I know this guy who knows this guy. Maybe they might work out. So we now have to kind of start moving to that foundation, giving it some consideration. And it's never perfect, but it does have to start. And these are usually some of the elements of the foundation. And do let her rip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is. What's the vision? What's the mission here? Let me kind of make a distinction between these two. The vision is simply where are we going, right? Where do we want to be in three years? What markets do we want to dominate? What industry do we want to start moving into? You know, or it could be very simple. You know, who do we want to have hired? What type of a hire do we want? I mean, where are we going? Where are we all gathered here? Right. Are we a tech company or are we a logistics company? Exactly. You make your pick here. And then there's the mission. Now, let me say a couple of things about mission. The mission really does say, why do we do what we're doing here? I think Simon Sinek, he's got a a wonderful book out. It's called Start With Why. Now, having a mission and, you know, why you do what you do, it's important, but it's, you know, it's not exclusive. You don't really need an earth shattering mission to have a successful business. In my experience working with owners, sometimes you know it takes maybe 45 minutes to find out what your mission is. Sometimes it takes, I don't know, four to five years to discover what your true mission is. It's okay, all right? Those are some of the things you just kind of bring to the surface and work through. The other part of the foundation are roles and responsibility, accountability. Some people call it an org chart. And it's usually kind of a, I like to look at it as kind of a three-pronged tool, if you will. There's sales and marketing. Now, everybody in the industry knows that there's a difference. (laughs) Joe, you and I, we worked on this. There is a big difference between marketing and a difference between sales. Marketing is storytelling. Marketing is bringing those people that you're looking for, your customers, bringing them to you 
in sales, you know, kind of like leading that horse to water, sales gets, goes out there, closes those opportunities, convinces the horse, look, this is good water, drink it, okay? <laughs> then there's operations. Operations, you know, how do we keep the customers we've worked so hard to get to? How do we follow through on our process, our commitment to move the freight? It's got to be smooth. And then the third is finance. And it's more than finance is more than just accounts payable and accounts receivable. That's critical. But it's also what's the balance sheet? Do you have a budget? Do you know where your cash flow is? You know, all of those important intricacies that you got to have, you got to have in place because we're here for the money, you know? Right. So, Mike, what you're saying is you got to put somebody in those jobs and somebody has to be responsible for sales and marketing. So mm-hmm. he has to be responsible for operations, whether they're onboarding a new client or picking a new TMS or WMS. And then the last thing you do need the somebody responsible for finance. Correct. And I think what we talked a little bit about offline was when you start, it's the owners who say, well, I'm the best sales guy. So Correct. they tend to work on that. And, but they also, they also have the carrier relationships. They're the ones right. who already, so they kind of do that job. And then it's their money. So they're the ones who are <laughs> more, <laughs> most interested. And what you said is, I thought was interesting is as it grows, if those guys don't let go of the reins or assign somebody that, it just becomes just like that youth basketball again, where when the phone rings, everybody's in sales, then everybody runs over to look for a carrier. Correct. And nobody's really accountable because everybody's accountable. That's true. That's true. And that that's a key element, Joe, is that when we have these roles and responsibilities segregated out, someone has to be accountable. Now, here's the critical part. Only one person can be accountable for each primary role. You can't have two people accountable for a specific role. We need just one set of eyes to go to when things are working out to find out why. What have we discovered that works out? Talk to me a little bit about it, why it's working. We also need one set of eyes to go to when things are not working out. So we can have laser focus to helping those individuals discover what will work, what will not work. But only one person can be accountable. Where two people or more are accountable for a specific role, Really, nobody's accountable. You got to move away from that. Yeah, Mike, I think it's just, so when we talked about the beginning of the podcast here, we're building a foundation for sales growth. So if you want to grow your sales, one way to go about it is all the typical sales training, make more calls, do all the things that we've talked about previously. But one good way to go about this is say, I'm going to get a really top-notch sales vice president or director or whatever whatever his title is and hold him completely accountable. I'm also going to try and clear the obstacles for that guy, but he's 100% accountable. Correct. You develop a plan and say, execute this. Let me know what we need to do to be successful. The challenge you run into, again, I think is when you first start off, you're so desperate for sales that nobody does anything else. Correct. And then just while we talk about sales, same thing is true of of operations. If I never hired somebody and said, Mike Temple, you are 100% responsible for operations. Mm -hmm. I don't want Mary having to jump over from sales and help you do your job. Let me know what you need. And I love that because you're setting the organization up to have processes, have systems, have accountability. Correct. You know, and Joe, this is not a knock against individuals who are going through this. This is a part of the journey, but it's also a part of where bottlenecks can develop. We can't move forward until we get the owner's approval on almost everything. And sometimes the owner has to approve almost everything because there's no vision of where we're going. 
So they feel they got to be involved in everything. And you kind of take that accountability away from individuals and it just causes havoc. So you're absolutely right. Having the segmented roles and responsibility, specifically what they are accountable for. They're going to know specifically what it is and how they're going to be measured on success to what they've been accountable for. Mike, if I, before you go any further, you told me years ago that you had done a workshop with a company and there was multiple owners and you said, let's figure out what seat everybody sits in. Let's make yeah. sure everybody's in the right seat. Talk a little bit about that because I thought that was very interesting story to hear about this. Yeah, I was at one of the industry conferences and had finished up the discussion on accountability and culture. And, you know, a gentleman comes up to me and says, hey, we'd really like for you to come in. He's one of the co-founders. We'd really like for you to come in and talk with us and see if you can help us because, man, we're just kind of running into each other all over the place. We don't know who's doing what. So went in and had kind of an exploratory meeting and kind of went and I asked him, you know, what do you think the problem is? Why are we talking today? And of course, I, w- I could have, you know, I wrote the answer down before they gave it to me. They said, we need more sales. I thought, okay, well, it very well could be. That's what everyone needs, right? <laughs> yeah. No, we need more sales because in the beginning, more money made all of the problems go away. That's true. Yeah, but as times start to kind of grow here, as your organization starts growing, so I thought, well, it could be. Gosh, I don't know. So I said, well, okay, help me figure something out. And I went around the room and I asked everyone, so who is accountable for finance? Where's the money going to go? Or what's going to happen to it? So this one individual kind of, you know, he kind of sheepishly raises his hand, but people kind of look at him, prompting him like, yeah, you're finance. So he kind of raises his hand a little bit and, you know, kind of this awkward, I guess I am. I said, okay, well, who's in charge of operations? Now it narrowed. Now we have maybe three people who are accountable for operations. And it's kind of like, well, sometimes, well, Mary knows a lot about, so sometimes she does. And sometimes Bob will kind of help fill in the gaps, you know, and it's just kind of like, so I guess Mary and Bob, And sometimes Joe will jump. So it was just kind of this collective kind of we know, kind of we don't know, and asked a few more questions. And, you know, some people didn't raise a hand who are part of the leadership team. And then I said, well, okay, well, then let's get to the bottom of this. Who's accountable for sales? All five of them raised their hand. (laughs) (laughs) Right. This this gets back to that old saying, if you chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither. I suspect there's something, if you have five sales managers, nobody's accountable. Correct. You know, but when they came, kind of like that small group coming together, they all brought customers with them, right? It's just part of it. And they grew, that's how they grew the business. They all were accountable for growing the business through sales. But that's exactly it. You know, nobody was accountable for anything specific. So So what'd you do with them? (laughs) Well, you know, I told them, look, there is absolutely no way that you can build a $10 million organization on a process and systems that are built for maybe $5 million. Your process and your systems cannot exceed what it's currently built for. Can't do it. Sales cannot exceed your process and systems. So, you know, we got together and we went through a strategy session. We went through the development and we started developing what's the vision here. We didn't worry about mission. Where are we going? Who's going to be specifically accountable for what? They learn that, hey, it's probably best that somebody might not be accountable. It's not a good fit for some of these past seats that they were in. And so we found the right roles and responsibilities for them. I love it. I love it. Mike, speak to, because I know this is very important to you, speak a little bit to the culture of organizations when they want to kind of grow to the next level, when they get past that crazy caffeine-fueled early stage and they start growing up a little bit. Yeah, you know, culture is one of those terms that is, It's been kind of thrown around in the industry for a number of years, but 
how I, I look at culture, culture is a set of your core principles. It is naturally who you are. It's a part of who you are at work, but most importantly, it's who you are outside of work. So the two are, you can't divorce the two. You can't have one set of culture principles at work and and another set at home. If you do, it'll eventually fall apart on you. So we have to discover what your core principles are. What's the culture of the, the culture that you want for the organization? Because culture dictates how do we as an organization, you know, how do we get things done here? How do we handle our problems? How do we look at situations? How do we look at each other? How do we, first of all, before we even get to the customer, how do we treat each other? How do we operate within ourselves? Right. Mike, I like what you said to me before in the past is, you know, culture is like a garden. You plant all these different plants in there and you want them all to thrive. But when the one plant starts to get too big, you go, I wanted that flower in there, but I didn't want it that big. I got to trim that one back. And then as time goes on, you say, hey, are these weeds in here? Are these, did I plant these? You got to pluck some of the weeds out. And yeah. I'm not using it as an analogy for people. It's just the analogy for values. And Mike says you can tell a lot about an organization just by walking through and hearing the conversations that are going on. And also, I like this, is if you want a better culture, it's as simple as encouraging the behaviors you like, discouraging the ones you don't like. So if you see somebody treating a customer with great care or treating a coworker the way you want them treated, say, hey, I like that. Correct. Give it up. If you want to get a really good handle as to the state of your current culture, you know, use your observation skills, walk through, listen to conversations, watch how your employees are interacting with each other, watch how they handle difficult situations. First, not so much with the customers at the beginning, but how do they work together to solve problems? You know, what's acceptable? What behavior is acceptable? What behavior is not acceptable? Because there's, I see there's three subgroups to every culture type. There's your partners, observers, and challengers. And your partners are those individuals who exude the actions and the behaviors, the beliefs, a majority of the time they represent them. Observers, you know, they're just kind of there. They're just kind of watching to see what's going on. They kind of, as the wind blows, so do they. You know, they kind of lean whichever way things are going. Then there's your challengers. And these are individuals who are challenging your core beliefs. They're kind of a cancer to the organization. They run opposite of what your values and your belief is. So you just kind of take a walk through and see, you know, what am I seeing here? How many people kind of fit into these three subcategories? And I think that one of the other white papers that we produced together was, I think, Joe, you, maybe you know the title better than I do, Get the Culture Right and the Other Stuff Will Take Care of Itself. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that was, and it's, I love that because you get the right culture and things happen right way. And when people say, I don't have time to fix the culture, what they find is they've got all sorts of other little fires to put out that wouldn't be there if they had developed the right culture. Correct. But that's a whole nother topic, Mike. <laughs> but um, anyway, so the point of this is, you're going to start off a company and it's going to it's going to be very sales driven. At some point to get to the next level, you build this foundation. The reason you build that foundation is so you can have some roles and responsibilities, accountability, systems, processes, the stuff that's going to let you to get to the next level. And I also say this, it also lets you kind of put somebody fully responsible for sales and let them loose with a plan. Mm-hmm pull down the obstacle. So I, I love this approach because I do think, and this is my own you know, observations, is 
We do get bogged down sometimes with, you might be the sales guy, but you find yourself always having to jump over and track a truck or clear somebody's credit up or stuff that you kind of go, God, if I could just sell all day long and just be focused on sales. And then if you're the ops guy who somebody says, yeah, he's the ops guy, but he used to work at that trucking company. That's why he's over involved in the sale, right? right? And so if we could just free people up to do one job, because we all do better when we can focus. Correct. Yeah. That's the other element. You know, what's the focus here? What's your focus? Yep. Mike, so this is great stuff. Please summarize this important topic and we'll put a bow on it. Sure. Again, it is that what's the vision of the organization? Where are you going? What's your desired state? What's the strategy to get there? Right. Roles and responsibility. You know, who is accountable for what? And specifically, what are they accountable for? Develop your culture. What's the company culture? How do we behave? How do we act? How do we treat each other? Because how you act within an organization, Joe, that's what your customers will ultimately experience. Doesn't matter what you put on your website. They're going to experience what your true culture is. Right. And then the final is, what's your process? What systems do you have in place. Accounting has a process, debits, credits. I don't want to go any deeper than that. (laughs) But so should sales. So should carrier development. So should your hiring process. All of these things and your training and retention, all of these things, you need a process in place, that foundation, because your sales team needs to know where are we going? Why am I doing what I am doing? Because the money will only last, you know, the motivation for money will only last so long before they want to contribute to something bigger than themselves. That's what I have found in my experience working with hundreds of logistics owners. Excellent. Excellent, Mike. This is great stuff. So tell us a little bit more about Temple Executive Coaching before we close out this podcast. Yeah, we, we got a great team. Our focus is in the logistics industry. We have worked with other organizations outside the logistics industry. So we come with more than just kind of a narrowed focus and practice. But this is our space, our primary space. So we, we've got a wonderful team on board. Individual that, you know, I think she's been a guest here as well. You know, Ann Holm is uh, a Yeah, she's a part of our team. We've also got another wonderful individual. Her name is Donna Phoebus. And what I found in the process of of working with owners, Joe, finances are usually a a little out of control. That's a lot of individuals who start in the logistics industry. They don't come from a strong background of chief financial officer. (laughs) They need those financial controls, especially now. Right now, this is during the COVID-19 crisis, just wrapping that up. So those problems are not going to go away for a little while. They're not. And Donna knows what she's talking about. Donna Phoebus has done an excellent job in helping a lot of owners figure this out, kind of gather those things together. She positions herself as a financial coach. She's done a wonderful job. So we were excited to potentially be a part of the TIA conference, but I think we all know what happened there. So <laughs> yeah. but we've got the various speaking engagements coming up, you know, things like this, some other things in the future. I'll put those links to those things in the show notes. Absolutely. Joe, and if your listeners are interested, you and I, we co-wrote some really good papers together, some white papers. Does my brokerage work for me or vice versa? The other one, if you get the culture right, the other stuff will take care of themselves. If they're interested in a copy, if they want to send me an email to my email address, I'd be more than happy to send your listeners a copy of that white paper. Yep. Mike, I will put your email in the link in the uh, podcast show notes and they can reach out to you. And I'll also put your website and your LinkedIn profile. So if anyone wants to reach out to Mike, and again, I think this is a great way to go for a lot of logistics companies. They're trying to get to that next level, whether it's going from 
5 million to 20 million or 20 million to 100 million, Mike and his team really know what they're talking about. And what's nice is they know your space. They know your industry. They've seen whatever problem that you have might seem like, oh God, no one has experienced this but us. Mike saw it down the street. (laughs) (laughs) True. And he doesn't mention names. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Mike, thank you so much for taking the time today. Great. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll be talking more as football season begins, Mike. (laughs) Absolutely. Let's ring it off. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Till next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.